book, this story, uh, you can turn to chapter 3. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you again for your holy word. And what a powerful story this is about the life of Joseph, how you used him in spite of difficulties and trials and twists and turns in his life. You were always with him, and you were at work. And Joseph's story is really an example and an encouragement to all of us that even though we may go through difficulties, you are still there. You are the same faithful, loving God who works out his plans and purposes for each of us. And so would you use your word powerfully in our life and in our church today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story that Randy Frazee shared. Randy Frazee is a pastor uh, in the same church with Max Locato. These guys are teaching pastors there, and they uh, take turns kind of working through a a series together. And uh, Randy told a story about Jennifer, a young woman who attended their church. And Jennifer was a woman with a big dream. Her dream was she wanted to go to college, and she wanted to be a nurse. She wanted to use her gifts, her mind, her abilities that God had given her in a way that could be a blessing to others. And it was a big dream because no one in her family had ever gone to college before. If she graduated from college, she would be the first one. And not only that, her family did not have the means to help her financially to go to school either. And so it was really a stretch for Jennifer to think about doing this. Uh, She uh, got a job. And every week she would take the money that she saved from her work and she put it into a box in her bedroom that she had hidden, you know, but she was keeping this money to help pay for tuition. And she lived at home with her single mom uh, just to save expenses. She was there and she also had a brother who was at home, a 14-year-old brother. And her younger brother was going through some difficulties. He had gotten in trouble with a lot of times and there was no... Uh, doubt about the fact that he was starting to experiment with drugs as well. But every time he got in trouble, Jennifer prayed for him and she defended him or she cared about him and was just just caring about what God was going to do in his life too. And then one day when she got her paycheck, she took the money and she went to her box where she was going to put that money away. She discovered that all of it was gone except for a $20 bill that was left there. And when she realized that it was her brother who had taken the money to support his drug habit, she was devastated. Personal betrayal hurts deeply. Here was a young woman with a dream, and that dream now seemed farther away than ever because of a family member and what he had done. You know, it's one thing to be betrayed by a stranger. It's another to be betrayed by somebody that you trust and you love, and you care about. And that's the situation where Joseph found himself in the chapter that we are going to look at today. Uh, We, again, will be in Genesis 37. We're going to work through most of the rest of Genesis, touching on a few different points in his life as we talk about his story. And what we will see is this, that Joseph's life is a profound example of, of how God can use even our trials for good. Joseph's life is a profound example of how God can use even our trials for good. We're going to look at four different phases in Joseph's life, and the first one is this. 
where we see that Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. That story begins in verse 37. I'm going to start at verse 2. Joseph was a young man of 17, and he was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Uh, He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So what do we learn about Joseph in this part of the story? Well, we learn that Joseph is 17 years old when the story picks up in his life. He is the 11th son of 12 sons of Jacob who was renamed Israel. He's the grandson of Isaac. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. So that's quite a, a line going back. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. But Joseph was born into a very dysfunctional family. His father, Jacob, had two wives. The Bible doesn't approve of that. It just reports what's going on. Jacob had two wives, and not only did he have two wives, they were sisters. You remember this story, and you think about that situation? One man being married to two women that are sisters, Rachel and Leah. And they got into kind of a baby-making contest you know, to see who could have the most kids and to see who was loved the most by God. And Rachel was barren and Leah had children and she would kind of put that in the face of of Rachel that God loved me more, see, you know. And, And that was very important, having children. And when they stopped having children, you know, then they would give their maidservants to Jacob so that they could have more babies through their maidservants probably because they had seen it worked out so well for Sarah and Abraham. You know, remember that story? You know, they they should have learned from this, but they didn't. And they get into this situation where you've got multiple wives and all of these children, and it's not good. And then you read that Joseph was his dad's favorite son. And his dad gave him this coat of many colors that just highlighted it. You know, he loved Joseph. And what was really interesting this week when I was preparing the the sermon was to see uh, this week on the web, there was all of this discussion going back and forth about favorite children. You know, and apparently uh, Kelly Ripa at one time had said, you know, she is a favorite child, and she named him which one she liked the best out of all her kids. And then there were other people, you know, going on and going, oh, that's awful. And then there were people saying, but you know you have a favorite child. And, and this discussion was going back and forth. And so I want to ask you this morning, how many of you were your parents' favorite? <laughs> got a few of you, got that. And also, how many of you know that that's not a good way to parent? You know, it's just, it's not the best way to parent, is it? 
Uh, I used to kid my sister about it. I have three older sisters, but the next oldest one, Mary, and I would go back and forth kind of kidding each other. And one year, this is when we're adults, you know, I found this great, great birthday card from my mom, and uh, you open it up, and inside it said, um, I, I had, excuse me, this was a birthday card I sent to my sister, Mary, okay, but it was about my mom. And uh, inside the card to my sister, it said, Happy birthday from mom's favorite. And then down at the bottom it said, P.S., don't say anything to mom about this. She told me not to tell. <laughs> so we would, we would go back and forth and kid about that too, you know, on it. And that's kind of the situation that Joseph found himself in, but his brothers hated him because of it. And then on top of that, Joseph was a dreamer. And Joseph had these dreams about his brothers coming and bow down to him, and he even had a dream about his brothers and his parents coming and bowing down to him. And he told them the dreams. It's not a good idea. I mean, it's one thing to have dreams, but it's quite another to put yourself above your brothers or even your parents in that situation. And so the story goes on where Joseph's brothers hated him and they plotted to kill him. In Genesis 37, uh, verses 19 and 20, if you're in the book, the story, it's on page 29 at the bottom. It says this, uh, that Jacob sent Joseph out to check on his brothers out in the fields. So he went and he did that. And when they saw him, they said, here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, and come now, Let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. We're going to get him good. They're going to take him. They're going to throw him into a cistern. They're going to kill him. They're going to take his robe and they're going to dip it in blood and say that he was torn to pieces by a wild animal and we'll see what happens. And Reuben, one of the older brothers, intervenes and says, no, let's not kill him will sell him into slavery. And when they see a, a group of Ishmaelites going by in a caravan, they're going down to Egypt, they decide to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels. And the Ishmaelites take Joseph down to Egypt. Now you'll recognize that name, Ishmaelites. These are descendants of Ishmael. And remember that prophecy about the hostility that would be between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Israel or Isaac? We see it starting to play out already. And these Ishmaelites take him down and they will sell him as a slave in Egypt. Now kidnapping and selling people into slavery were common back then. What's really sad though is that it still goes on today. With young women and young men, girls and boys that are sold into the sex trafficking industry. In places like India, Philippines, Thailand, other parts of Southeast Asia, but even here in Minneapolis and St. Paul, there are those connected with sex trafficking. It is a horrible situation. And what we see, though, in this passage is how God can rescue someone out of even situations as awful as that. 
And Joseph's situation was really looking pretty awful at this time. To be a slave in Egypt was not a good thing. But God was with Joseph. So in this second phase of Joseph's life, we see how Joseph is put into prison while he is in Egypt, and that's in chapters 39 to 41. Joseph is sold as a slave to an Egyptian official named Potiphar. It's on page 31 in the story. Uh, In chapter 39, beginning at verse 2, it says this. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. I want you to underline that phrase, if you will, or if you do that in your Bibles. The phrase, The Lord was with Joseph. That is a refrain that shows up in Joseph's life at many different points. Joseph is going through these trials and difficulties. He's in the pit of rejection where he was rejected by his family, and he's in the pit of prison, and God is there and still meets him and takes him out. Uh, He is falsely accused, but God will still be there. And that's a powerful statement. The Lord was with Joseph. And we read in verses 2 to 4, as we continue there, that when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. God blessed Potiphar because of Joseph's life and his faith. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. All right? It's a remarkable thing that God was doing here. And then notice what it says in verse 6 when it makes this note that Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was a good-looking guy. And there was someone else who noticed it, and that was Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife saw Joseph and said to him, Come to bed with me. She was trying to seduce this young man and say, Come to bed with me. Talk about your desperate housewife, if you will. Here she is, and she's trying to do this day after day after day, but he refused. And he said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. And then he goes on and he said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And then comes that day when the tables are turned in a situation where Joseph is there and and she wants him to come once again and he flees, but he leaves behind his cloak. And Potiphar's wife will lie about Joseph. And she will say that it is this slave that you brought into our house who's been trying to take advantage of me. And Potiphar believes her and Joseph is thrown into prison falsely accused, thrown into prison. But in verse 21, look at what it says. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. And the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. I want you to think about something here that I think is very important. And it is this statement that there are no barriers to where God can work or what he can do if we will trust him. There are no barriers to where God can work or what he can do if we will trust him. Maybe you feel like Joseph, like you grew up in a dysfunctional family, and if I told you the mess that it was like at my home or the yelling or the things that were going on in our household, you wouldn't believe it. God knows, and he can still do a great work in your life. And maybe you feel like you're in this kind of pit that's like a prison to you, and you, you've wondered, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? There are no barriers to where God can work or what he can do if we will trust him. And while in prison, Joseph will get a reputation for correctly interpreting dreams with the cupbearer and the baker that are going to be significant in the future. It is a reminder, too, that following Jesus, again, does not mean that life will be easy or free of problems. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery by his brothers. That was the start of a 22-year period in his life where he goes through rejection and imprisonment and all of these difficulties in his life until God will raise him up. 22 years. I mean, we get impatient sometimes when our trials last a week. And we go, God, can you, can you change this situation? Or would you do something? But the Lord was with Joseph in all of these experiences. And what was God doing? God is preparing a man that he can use to build a nation and change the world. And that doesn't happen in a day. God was using the circumstances of Joseph's life to mold him and make him into the person that he could use. God did that with Abraham. Remember, Abraham waited 25 years from the promise of having a son until Isaac was born. Moses, when called by God to serve him, spent 40 years in the wilderness where God was preparing him to be that man that he could use to lead a nation out of slavery. God's not in a rush. He knows what he's doing. And he uses those circumstances of our life to shape and mold us. And he doesn't waste anything in our life. If we will give it to him, he will use those trials, our background, our personality, the things that have happened to us as part of his plan to mold us and make us into the person he wants us to be. Well, in the third phase of Joseph's life, what we see is that Joseph is promoted to deputy pharaoh in Egypt. He will become second in all of the land of Egypt, which is just a remarkable thing. Historically, we believe that this was under Sesostris III, who was the pharaoh at that time. Sesostris came to power in 1878 B.C., and 1876 would be the end of 22 years when Joseph was now 39 and raised to power. How did that happen? Well, Pharaoh had a dream that troubled him, and none of his wise men could interpret it. 
And then the cupbearer who was serving Pharaoh remembered Joseph from prison. When Joseph had favorably interpreted his dream, he said, Remember me when you come into your position of authority. And the cupbearer had totally forgotten Joseph, didn't say anything about him until this time. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph to come and interpret his dream. Joseph will reply in chapter 41, verses 15 and 16. Um, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph said, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't, but God can Joseph knew that that ability wasn't in him to interpret dreams. He was giving the glory to God for what God could do. And so now Joseph comes and he interprets these two dreams. And in that period, dreams were considered important in the ancient world, especially when a leader had a dream or a premonition. And so Joseph comes, he interprets the two dreams. Egypt will have seven years of bountiful harvest, followed by seven years of lean harvest or famine that will consume the fat years. And so what they need to do is to take those years of bountiful harvest and save up and store the grain to make it through the lean years. And as a result, page 33 in the book, The Story at the Bottom, Joseph is put in charge of all of the land of Pharaoh. He is second in command to Pharaoh. I look at that and I go, don't you wish we could have had a Joseph prior to the recession that we have been in? <laughs> Give some wisdom and counsel to us or to our president and country on what we could have done. Well, finally that day comes when, fourthly, Joseph is reunited with his brothers and he forgives them. Joseph will see his brothers again under quite different circumstances and he forgives them. The story is told from chapter, chapters 42 through the end of Genesis. The famine in Canaan was also severe. And Jacob, the father, learned that there is grain in Egypt. And so he sends ten of his sons to go down to Egypt to get grain so that they might live. When his brothers arrive in Egypt, there is Joseph. He's the governor. He is in charge of the grain. And they come and they bow down to Joseph but they don't recognize him. 22 years have passed. Joseph is dressed like an Egyptian. I'm told even back then that Egyptian men sometimes wore makeup too, and so he would be unrecognizable to them. But Joseph saw them, and he recognized his brothers. And he recognized his brothers, but he did not take revenge on them. Why? It's because Joseph understood the upper story. Remember last week I talked about how in the Bible it's like there's two stories that run along in the Scripture. You have the upper story where God is at work and He has His plans and purposes and nothing, nothing, not even human sin can thwart God's plan or His purposes. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is at the end of the book of, the Job, book of Job where Job says that I know that you can do all things and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. God is at work. 
And he was at work in this situation, and Joseph understood that. Where we live, though, is in that lower story that takes these twists and turns, and we battle difficulties, and we have spiritual battles, and we have physical struggles, and we have relationship challenges, and we have times when we're dealing with you know, finances or work or all those kind of situations, and we wonder, God, what are you doing? God is at work. He's at work in all of those situations to mold us and make us into someone who is usable to him. Joseph got it. And he trusted God because he knew that God was at work and with him even in these difficult life situations. Look at what he said to his brothers in Genesis 45, verses 4 to 8. Genesis 45, verses 4 to 8. It's on page 39 in the story in the middle of the page. Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land. For the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It wasn't you, but it was God who is at work in this situation. God was at work building a nation, and Joseph was God's agent in that. I mean, this was huge for Joseph, and it's huge for us when we understand the the upper story, the big picture of what God's doing. When we understand the upper story, it changes us. We look at our circumstances differently. We look at life differently. We look at our world differently. And I understand what it's like to have questions. I mean, I'm looking at this election coming up for president, and I have questions. I go, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but, but I pray and I trust you. And I trust that you know what you are doing and you work all things out for good. God was doing that in Joseph's life. And what's really interesting, and I know I have to condense some of these things, but, you know, Joseph's family then would be brought down to Egypt and they would live there during this time of famine and beyond. In fact, Joseph's descendants would live in Egypt for 400 years before the time of Moses when God would lead them out in the Exodus event. 400 years living in Egypt. Was that a good thing? Was that a difficult thing? What was God doing? Well, there's some interesting things about that that maybe you haven't thought of either. But the Israelites were shepherds, and the Egyptians considered shepherding to be an abomination. It was beneath them. They maybe liked to eat the livestock, but they didn't want anything to do with shepherding. And what that meant was then Israel and their descendants could live securely in Egypt without the threat of intermarriage. In Canaan, the threat of intermarriage was always a concern because God warned them not to intermarry with the Canaanites lest their heart be turned away and they worship false gods. And so for 400 years, here are the Israelites growing and multiplying. Not only that, because of Joseph's position, God gave the best land in Egypt for shepherding to the Israelites. 
I mean, they, they had the land of Goshen. They had the land that was most fertile, most beautiful, the land that they could raise these livestock in and live and multiply and have their children. And they would grow into a nation of over 2 million people during that time in Egypt. Until later, we're going to pick up the story, time of the Exodus, when they became so numerous that the Egyptians were concerned that they would be a threat to them if they joined with their adversaries. And what about Joseph? What happened in his life? Well, Joseph would live another 71 years to the age of 110 And he would see his children and grandchildren and they would rest upon his knee and he would would see them. And so here was Joseph, you know, this young man at 17 sold into slavery, goes through this hard, difficult time in his life for 22 years, but would experience 71 years of blessing and enjoyment with his children and grandchildren and their children beyond that. God was at work. God was at work. So what does this passage tell us that we can take away from it? I mean, that's a really cool story, but, you know, does God do things like that today? Well, let me go back to the story about Jennifer, whose money was stolen by her brother. She went to church that next Sunday, and she took that $20 bill and she put it in the offering. And she said to God, God, I'm all in. I mean, I mean, I got nobody else to trust, but God, I'm trusting in you. And she put that $20 bill in the offering. When the pastor heard about this story a few weeks later, he told it to the congregation. And there were three families in that church that wanted to do something for Jennifer. And they wanted to help her by paying for her college tuition, not just one year, but four years, four years. And today, Jennifer is an oncology nurse. She's a loving wife and a devoted mom. God did an amazing thing in her life, just like he did with Joseph. So what do we learn from this chapter of the story? Well, we learn that God is at work in the details of our life to accomplish his purposes too. Doesn't waste anything uses all of it for good when we will trust him and put it in his hands. In fact, one of the verses that all of us probably know or look at from time to time is Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those who love him. There are conditions there. I mean, that's a promise not for everyone in the world. That's a promise for those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's for those who are part of his family. And if that verse alone doesn't make you want to be part of his family, I don't know what would, you know. And it's for those who walk with him, for those who desire that their life be used by God. God says, I will watch over you and I will take care of you. And secondly, when we understand the upper story, it frees us from bitterness and it enables us to forgive those who sin against us. It frees us up. You know what? I I can put those things that I don't understand in God's hands. I I may have questions. I I may struggle with them, but I can put them in God's hands and say, God, I know that you are at work in my life and I will trust you. Or God, I know that hurt, 
but I can forgive because you have forgiven me. That's where God wants to bring us to. That point of maturity and faith and growth in our knowledge that we will trust in his word and hold on to him even when life is hard. And if I had more time, well, I'm just going to mention one verse that I'd encourage you to look at too. Genesis 49.10. 49.10 is another verse that shows how the promise continues through the line of Judah. It is where Jacob blesses his sons, but in particular, he blesses Judah, and he tells them that the scepter will not depart from Judah until the one comes whose right it is to claim it. It was a prophecy about the Messiah, about this one who would one day be king and ruler, and that this scepter would not depart from Judah until that person arrived, and that would happen in the person of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are a great and awesome God who works all things together for good. And we see that in the life of Joseph. We heard about it in the life of Jennifer. And I know many of us here could testify of that too, of what you have done, and we praise you for it. So, Father, I pray for those today in particular who may be struggling with difficulties or challenges right now or are wrestling with, you know, God, am I willing to put my life in your hands? Lord, would you call us into a deep faith and if you're here today and wrestling with that would you surrender your life to Jesus today and say God I will trust you Jesus forgive me for my sins for my attitude for my critical spirit or whatever it has been Lord I want to follow you would you lead me and guide me we pray it in your name amen